Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome and thank you so much for joining our podcast. My name is Rachel Cooter and I, I head up Osborne Clark's contentious financial services practice. I'm joined by two of my colleagues, Jeremy Summers, who heads our business crime team, and Benedict Perone, who specialises in FCA investigations and enforcement. So today, Benedict and Jeremy are going to give a brief overview of the FCA's approach to regulatory investigations, both from a criminal perspective and also from a civil enforcement perspective. So first, a question for you, Jeremy. How and when does the FCA decide whether to bring criminal proceedings, either as well as or instead of civil regulatory proceedings? Uh, thank you, Rachel, and hello, everyone. Um, the FCA will keep its options open for as long as possible. Um, when dealing with criminal prosecutions, as with any prosecutor, um, if the FCA does opt to press criminal charges, it must follow the test set out in the Code for Crown Prosecutors. Firstly, is there sufficient evidence to provide a realistic prospect of conviction, typically described as being greater than 50%, and if so, is a prosecution in the public interest? Um, there are generally fewer prosecutions than regulatory enforcement actions, as these tend to be quicker, cheaper, and easier to prove. But um, the FCA will prosecute if it considers matters are so serious, um, particularly if there has been mis-selling to the public or market integrity has been called into question. Um, so, for example, a major high street bank was recently prosecuted for serious anti-money laundering systems failures, and a former fund manager at a leading investment house is currently being prosecuted for insider dealing. Uh, uh, thanks, Jeremy. And, and Benedict, um, what about on the on the civil side? Um, if the FCA has decided to bring criminal proceedings, will it also inevitably bring civil regulatory proceedings? Thanks, Rachel. And hello to all our listeners. So in cases where criminal proceedings have commenced or will be commenced, the FCA may consider whether to take civil or administrative action. For example, where there is it's appropriate for the protection of consumers. And they'll also consider how such actions should be pursued. In terms of the timing of starting administrative proceedings, as you and I were discussing yesterday, Rachel, we have some different examples of matters we've worked on. Broadly, and as Jeremy has mentioned, the FCA will prosecute if it considers the matter is serious enough, and they will run this first. This may mean they do nothing from an administrative perspective until the criminal proceedings have concluded. We've also worked on matters where the FCA have opened administrative proceedings at the start, i.e. at the same time as starting a criminal investigation, but then immediately put the administrative proceedings on hold pending the outcome of the criminal proceedings and any resulting prosecutions. Uh, thanks, Benedict. Um, OK, so the FCA has decided that it's going to start both criminal and civil proceedings. Um, what compulsory evidence gathering powers does the FCA have in its armoury? Um, one for you first, I think, Benedict. As listeners will know, the FCA's ability to require information and documents is central to its investigative powers. The FCA has various powers to gather documents or information, appoint investigators and require the production of a report by a skilled person. In terms of administrative investigations and processes, we tend to find that the FCA relies on the FCA's formal powers to request documents and information, particularly Section 165 of FISMA. Something to also note is that its document and information requests coming from the FCA can be extensive, and they're often required within very short time periods. 
at that stage, a firm or an individual who is subject to investigation may choose to seek legal advice if they're not already in order to understand the extent to which it's possible to influence and indeed discuss with the FCA their requests for information. Uh, thanks, Benefit Benedict. That's really helpful. Um, and from a criminal perspective, Jeremy, is there anything to add there? Uh, Rachel, yes. Um, the FCA can gather evidence from potential witnesses using a range of compulsory powers, including production orders uh, in the context of criminal investigations. Um, when it comes to suspects, evidence can be seized using statutory powers that are triggered on arrest or through the execution of a search warrant. Um, where a business is under investigation, um, that search warrant procedure can take the form of a dawn raid. And if that happens, experienced legal advice really is essential. Um, suspects can also be interviewed under caution, uh, in which case anything they say can be used in evidence against them in any subsequent prosecution. Um, that suspect does have the right to remain silent, but if he or she does so, an adverse inference can be drawn against him or her for not answering those questions if they are later prosecuted. Um, that said, it, in my experience, it's normally preferable to have a chance of resisting an application for an adverse inference if indeed one is made, rather than having to deal with an interview record that is something of a hostage to fortune. So again, uh, expert legal advice is critical if the FCA wants to interview under caution. So it sounds to me like the FCA's criminal and civil powers of gathering evidence seem to be quite different, um, but there clearly is an overlap. Um, does that present any risks, Jeremy? Um, yes, Rachel, as you've said, FCA um, can run investigations in parallel and where that happens, there can be overlap. Uh, in terms of a regulatory investigation, as Benedict has already explained, the FCA can deploy compulsory powers to obtain evidence, and this can create a tension with a criminal interview where such powers are not available. Um, I acted fairly recently for a client who was asked to attend a voluntary interview under caution, and at the start of that interview, he was served with a regulatory 165 notice that Benedict has talked about compelling him to produce documents. Uh, I took the position that in doing so, the FCA FCA were in fact acting unlawfully and conflating the two systems and I later got advice from leading counsel which agreed with that position. Um, the FCA didn't concede the point but interestingly enough they did then drop the criminal investigation and what I think uh, is important from this example is that it, it is really critical to make sure that the FCA does not cross the line when running parallel investigations. Thanks Jeff. I mean, that's really interesting and, and, and it does illustrate the point you were making earlier, which is how essential it is to have advice and assistance from someone with the right expertise from the outset. So it's clear to me, you know, the FCA can take action for a wide variety of wrongdoing in the financial services world. So from your collective experiences, um, are there any current indicators as to particular areas where the FCA is likely to investigate either from an administrative or a criminal perspective? Thank you, Rachel. So as you will know, the FCA does not have a set of enforcement priorities that are distinct from the priorities of the FCA as a whole, for example, as set out in their business plan. In addition, the FCA is also a risk-based regulator with limited resources, so it will prioritise its resources in the areas which pose the biggest threat to its statutory objectives. 
For example, the FCA seems to be taking a more assertive role in anti-money laundering enforcement at the moment, and as with the high street bank matter, which Jeremy has already mentioned, is willing to use its criminal powers when necessary. There are also certain areas where the FCA will always seek to take the toughest line that it can, particularly where there is a suspected insider trading or other forms of market abuse. Great, thanks, Benedict. Um, Jeremy, and from your side? Uh, yes, um, as we've already discussed, um, the FCA does regard criminal prosecutions as an important piece of its enforcement toolkit, uh, not least because of its deterrent effect. Um, having said that, uh, as we've discussed, regular enforcement will normally be the option of choice, provided that the offence is not so egregious as to require a criminal prosecution. Uh, and uh, looking at that in terms of data, the FT reported in January of last year, 2022, that it had some 40 active cases uh, ongoing, of which 29 were regulatory, two were criminal, and six at that stage at least were still dual track uh, parallel matters. Um, we've talked about insider dealing, and historically, the FCA did regularly prosecute people for insider dealing, but that trend may have reduced somewhat in recent years, uh, although certainly prosecutions are still being brought for that offence. Uh, and uh, we've already discussed, and Benedict has mentioned, the current trend in relation to AML enforcement through the criminal process. Great. Thanks both. Um, so finally, you both, do you have any top tips for how to respond to an FCA investigation? Jeremy. Um, thanks again. Um, well, we've spoken a number of times today about seeking legal advice, and one of my top tips would certainly be not to go it along, take advice where necessary, and it almost always will be necessary if you're under investigation by the FCA, so do take relevant experience legal advice. Um, if you're being un interviewed under caution, do push hard for pre-interview disclosure so you, that you understand the allegations and do give very serious consideration to submitting a pre-prepared -pre statement but then not answering questions, at least in the first interview. And finally, for, for businesses, um, if you are subject to a dawn raid, check the warrant very carefully to ensure that it's been lawfully issued and without in any way being obstructive to the FCA investigators make sure that they do act within the scope of the warrant and go no further. Great thanks Jeremy um, and Benedict. Thanks Rachel so just building on Jeremy's points um, I'd also add that notwithstanding a firm's principal 11 obligations to deal with its regulators in a cooperative way there may be occasions when it's appropriate to challenge the FCA on their approach. This should obviously be done carefully and with advice, but it can help to provide clarity and move investigations along. To add to this, I would say do not assume that the FCA is an expert in or fully understands the business of the firm which they are investigating. There may be a need to bring the FCA up to speed on the business and to clarify misunderstandings. This can either be as part of an early scoping discussions with the FCA, or as an investigation moves along and issues come to light. Thanks, Benedict. That last point, Benedict, is, um, is actually an incredibly good one. And I would also add to that, that you should also never assume that the FCA already has sufficient knowledge of whatever nefarious things might have been taking place, um, and that it has a preconceived outcome or agenda in mind to trip you up with. You may know where your skeletons are, but, and again, subject to a consideration of Principle 11, as you've already said, Benedict, it's not always the right strategy to, fe to fess up. I've certainly had cases 
where we've been, been concerned about issue Y, um, but the FCA has instead been focused on a potentially less serious issue X. Um, so I think that's all we have time for today. Thank you to you both, Benedict and Jeremy, for providing such a useful and snappy insight. Uh, you've certainly left me with some food for thought. So thank you very much and goodbye.